Right on. Amen. Yep. Have a seat. Uh, it's good to see you. How you doing? How's 11 o'clock? Welcome. You're all here and dry. It's good. Uh, first hour, our 9.30 uh, tribe. The sermon was really short. So I'm going to meddle for the next hour. I lengthened it. No, I'm just kidding. It is short, though. I don't know what the deal is. It's the same number of whatever I always do, but some of you are quietly going, sweet. Get out of here. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse uh, 3. It's where we've been all month. Uh, we've been looking at this one verse, pretty familiar verse. But what I want you to do is, uh, or what I want to tell you from the start, I want to go ahead and tell you my goal for the next few minutes together. Uh, just kind of, you know, when this everything came off the scratch paper and onto the typed paper, I just I want to make sure that you know from the very beginning what all of this is about, at least today. And I just have this one goal, and like, I want you to listen with this, this in mind, so as we move through uh, what I have to say, I want you to hear this more than, than anything. And the goal is this, like when you leave the building today, when you walk out and back into your everyday deal, that you leave knowing, and that's the big word right there, that you leave knowing that God will never walk out on you. Is that clear? That He just doesn't do that. I mean, you and I may walk out on Him, but He doesn't walk out on us. And I just want you to hear that. I mean, it's really, I really today, I mean, as I was reading through it this morning, uh, just making sure that things were in place, it's really just a long sort of rambling about how much God loves us. And when we hear a command like, you shall have no other gods before us, there's something deeper than just, let's talk about priorities. There's something deeper going on beneath the surface, which we're going to hopefully uncover today. But let's at least start and look at verse 3 together. We've been reading it every week. And God says these words to Israel. These are the first words God spoke to Israel after they had been freed from slavery. And He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, when you read that verse... When you read those words, you don't have to be like a scholar to figure out, you don't have to know the Hebrew to figure out that what God is talking about is priorities. He's talking about some, the order of things. And they are about living this life with this understanding that God is first in all things. That's, all he, that's at the first run, high altitude, look down at the verse, that's what he's saying. This is about him being first. And not to be a broken record, but as we've said the last couple of weeks, this is not a series about how to put God first because God has always been first. That's His place. That's His position already. There's no, I mean, if that was your list, if that was on your list of to-dos this year, like this year I'm going to put God first, you can scratch it off. He's already there. Because if you make the universe, you win, right? So it's not really about finding a way to put God back in His position, but it's more about me orbiting around who He is. So this series is about adjusting my life to that truth. That's, when you see this, you shall have no other gods before me. There's a behind-the-scenes message about, I'm first, I've always been first, there's no other one. And Israel, coming out of slavery from a place where there would have been countless gods, and they worship these gods, 
The Ten Commandments really is the beginning of God rehabilitating and renovating their thinking about themselves and the universe and who God is. And God begins saying, I'm it. I'm it. And so this is about making Him first in everything. In matters of faith and in life. Now, it's a rough verse. I mean, there's like no transition. If you look at verse 2, it's like, it's this thing God is saying about freedom. Like, I freed you from slavery. And then there's no like segue in anything uh, easy. It's just very complicated from the start. Then set me aside as the main thing in your life. But there is like a softer side to this verse, and that's what we're going to explore today. There's like a kind of the other side of this verse that in these words we also hear not just God talking about his place in the world and in the universe and hopefully in our lives, but there's also this tone behind the verse of his, of his deep love for you and for me, for us. It's easy to lose that truth when you're like reading through a list of commands, but the heartbeat of these words, they ring of God's love for us. It's not only about making him first in our lives, but it's kind of also about how God wants that. He wants to be in a relationship with his people, with you, with me. Uh, Jesus framed it this way. You probably know this verse. We'll put some of it on the screen. But he says, for God so loved the world. And that word loved is the word agape. There are four Greek words to describe love. And agape is really maybe the most difficult. It's without condition. To love someone with an agape love is to say, it doesn't matter what you do, where you've been, where you're going to go again. I love you the same. It's a very complicated, if not some, some Greeks would see it as the perfection of love that you can love without agenda other than to love. And so Jesus says that's the kind of love that God has for the world. But again, on the first take, you shall have no other gods before you. When you look at that command, it sounds difficult and rough, but when you get inside the words a little bit and inside the mind of God a little bit, they sound more like a groom at his wedding, declaring that there is to be no one else for him but her. And he just wants to know before anything further happens in the relationship that she feels the same way. He just wants to know that her only hunger uh, for love and relationship and connection is with him and that he will be enough for her. So if you've been married and you make these vows on the stage, that's all you're saying. I hope that there's no one else for you but me. Like no one would think anything negative of a groom at his wedding saying to the bride, don't ever put anyone else above me. Don't leave me. Make me all that you need here in this life. No one would ever think, I mean, that would just belongs in a movie. And when God comes along and says, don't have any other God but me, you have to learn to sort of read the command in that way. And again, so far, the series has been about making sure that life is lived with God at the front. And we started the whole thing off saying just a few weeks ago, uh, God, just by his very nature, is first. Again, if you make the universe, you win. So salvation, this relationship with God, it begins when I sort of get my head around the reality that I'm not the center of the universe. He is. And that's a hard thing to do, to remove ourselves from the center of our own little stories. But salvation, it begins when I make this decision to remove myself from the center of my own little story and invite him into my story, or better, to just place my life on the pages of his story. That's 
better. Like when Jesus said the words, come follow me, like he said a lot, come follow me, it was an invitation into like a new kind of story, a new relationship with God. And last week we talked about how God has to be first in our worship, which was probably an odd sermon if you were here. But in this place, when we gather and do the things we do, like sing and dance and paint and take communion and give money and teach, everything we do in here must ultimately be about God, and that's it. Nothing else is to be first in here. Like, He's the only permanent fixture in worship. Not the songs, not the art, not the sermon, even the communion, the Lord's Supper is perishable. It's gone. We'll clean up the mess when you leave. And so, nothing is permanent but Him. Like in the Old Testament in the Psalms when the writer says, sing unto the Lord a new song. Like you get the feeling that even thousands of years ago, religious people are going, we need a new song. I'm tired of this song. We need a better song, a fresh song, to describe this ancient faith. And it's getting my head around the fact that everything we do in this place, in here, is about Him. And after the lights go down and everybody goes home, that He still remains. And as no, as no brainer as that sounds, churches can and do, and every church is at the risk of doing this, they just lose the plot. And they become something else, like an end unto themselves, like opening the doors every Sunday, going through the motions, boom, 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 never really knowing that God is here. And we said last week with much conviction, we just want to be a place that is always conscious that God is here. And He always be here. And the things we do today, we may not do tomorrow, but He remains. Like, that's the thing. But like I said a minute ago, I want to take a, a step deeper into this verse where God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And I want to talk about how in our own individual faith that God wants to be first in that too. And the baseline meaning of you shall have no other gods before you is that God is to be first in all things, and that includes our own relationship with Him. Now, what I did want to do is get up here today and give you like a list of things to do to make God first in your life. I didn't want to do that. And there is a list. There's certainly things in the Scriptures that God says, look, if, if you're in a relationship with me, then these are some good things to keep as normal rhythms in your life, whether it's prayer, study, rest, serving, etc., there, are, there is a list, but I don't want to do the list today. Maybe because I'm tired of hearing myself talk about the list. So I had to kind of go again behind the scenes, and I want to just come at this verse from the other side. And I would rather talk about not how to make God first in your faith and in your life, but I would rather talk about the times when, and we're all on the same page with this, uh, those times when you feel like He's not first, or when you feel like um, you have forgotten that He's first. Those moments or even seasons or years in our lives when we feel very distant from God, far from Him. Have you been there? I mean, are we all on the same page there? Like, there's just times where you're like, you're praying and it's just hitting the ceiling. Or you're in here singing the songs, but you're like, I don't, I don't even know what we're doing. I'm asleep at the wheel. Like, everybody has those, everybody has those times. So I just wanted to explore that in our few minutes together. And you've had those times where he has felt, where God has felt maybe removed from your everyday life or just the scene. 
And even if you're someone who is searching for answers about who this Jesus is in the Bible and God and church and all that and faith in general, even if you're one of those people uh, that you're just on the path to get some questions answered, you even have times where you feel closer to what you're looking for, and then the next week or the following week, you feel like you'll never find what you're looking for. And you can sing that song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's good. Just got that in there. That was good. So It's not in the notes. That was free. That was free. And any, any Christian in the room, if they were willing, could get up here and take the wheel for the next hour and just talk about those moments or seasons or even years where God wasn't first at all and how they struggled to get things back in the right order and how hard, how hard that is. It's so difficult. And how sometimes it felt like maybe it would never, it would never be right again. And you can just throw a stone in, onto the pages of Scripture and you can hit passage after passage where the writers are saying, and these are writers of the Bible, where they're saying, I just don't feel close to God. This is one of my favorite from David in uh, Psalm 52. He says, restore, and that's only a word to mean that something has been broken, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Right? So even David, a man after God's own heart, steps back occasionally and says, I feel wrecked, like I don't feel like anything is connecting. And so I'm just praying to God, like if you'll just fix it, like to see those words is to know that it's pretty possible to have God get lost in the mix and for you and me to lose sight of him. I mean, like there is just no question that 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 happens. And so as we look at this verse, you shall have no other gods before me. It's about God being first in all things, including our faith, but there are just times when he doesn't feel like he's first, or it doesn't feel like he's there. So I just want to hit that for a few moments. Let's take a turn here, though. I want to talk about this. uh, There's a statement that every pastor hates to hear. There's actually a list of statements, but this is probably the top one. Um, And it's one that, like, they don't like to hear, we don't like to hear, but we should like to hear it. And it's a statement that we hear from time to time, uh, if that is if we're listening to you, if we're listening to the rhythms of our church and her people. And it's a statement that it can really send a pastor into a tailspin. I mean, in fact, I've seen my friends just bail ministry because of this statement. Like, they just didn't know what to do with it anymore. They didn't know how to fix what was being presented. They didn't know. They, they were running out of ways to deal with it. And so they just, they just get out. And it happens time and time again. And the phrase doesn't go away. It just keeps on. It always keeps getting repeated in some way. I've phrased it for you this way. I'll use my name because I'm the pastor. Uh, Derek, I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith anymore. And maybe you've just said that silently, but I've got some words here to describe. There's a loss of closeness, perhaps. You don't feel very close to God. Momentum, like I just can't seem to get into a rhythm of prayer or reading or serving or what. There's just no, uh, the momentum is gone. Or strength, like I'm kind of back into the same old habits. How did that happen? Or hope, like you just keep praying for something and you keep hoping for something and it's not, nothing is, it's quiet. So there's a loss of hope. Ultimately, we just begin to go 
completely the other direction and just be, we begin to lose faith. Everybody, everybody has said that. Well, hopefully you've said that. We should say that. And as you'll see in a moment, this is a great thing to say. And as a pastor, I used to lose sleep over those, those words. I mean, I still do, by the way, but it's a different way now. I mean, they would haunt me and cause me to, like, just rework everything that we were doing. My, my team uh, always hated Mondays if that phrase was said to me on Sunday, right? You have a boss like that where like, they come in after something happened the day before and everything just hits the, you're back in the shop just reworking everything. I mean, that's the way it would be. And so that phrase would like, it would drive me to rework and rethink everything I was doing. They, they drove me to reconsider what it means to be a pastor and to lead a church. It's something, it's surely something that someone says, and when they say it, it must feel like we're not doing something right. Like at the end of the day, it's got to be our fault because that's what we're here for. That's what we do. We've let them down in some way. They would drive me crazy. These fra- this, this phrase would drive me crazy. Derek, I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith anymore. Sometimes I would get angry, right? And I would say, well, how much more do you need? (laughs) I mean, we're in here every week. I'm up here every week, and I'm going on and on and on and on and sometimes on and on about God and His Word. And we have all sorts of things for you to connect with, to grow in your faith. And as I remember, you're in all of them. What else are you looking for? I just had to get that off. Thank you for coming to my session. But I would hear those things and wonder more than anything what I did or didn't do. Question your own calling. Grab applications at coffee shops that were hiring. Because that's all you can do with a Bible college degree, by the way. Not if you're a barista right on, but I'm just saying I got I got no skills after this, so keep coming. So But then and I don't remember when and how, but, and maybe it was a progression, but one day it just hit me. Like, I want to hear those words. I want to hear people say those things. There are times when they need to be said. There are times when you need to say it, and I need to say it. And when they're said, even though she may not know it, they're words that are telling a remarkable story about her faith. And they tell me that something is stirring inside of her. There's something churning, something spinning, something in her spirit. Essentially, she isn't satisfied. She's not satisfied. That's good. That's where she needs to be. She feels uprooted and disconnected. Her faith feels loose and tenuous, like it'll blow away if the next bad experience comes along. She's disenchanted with the way things are. She's tired of the music. She's tired of the stuff. She's tired of serving. She's tired of being in this and that. She feels like she needs more. And if it's one more bad sermon, she's out. It's good. That's a good spot. If I'm saying those things and you're going, is he talking to me? That's good. You're in the right spot. And when people feel that way, they often look around to the closest thing around them and try to figure out what it is that's causing this kind of thing. And they, so they just look around this room or they look around their small group and they say, it must be these people must be this church, right? It must be her church that is no longer helping her in her faith. So she says, I need something more. This 
and this place can't give it to me. I have needs that are beyond the capacity of this church, and I need to look for some, something else, maybe some place else, a place where I can fill this hunger that I have for more of God in my life. And the truth is, in many churches, and every church is at risk for this, but in many churches, her assessment is spot on. Far too many churches have closed their doors every year as a result of this kind of exodus where people are just leaving because they feel like they need more in their faith. And like I said, a lot of churches are to blame, and no one's out of the question on that. Everything is suspect. I mean, we're at risk for that. And as I said last week, there's always a risk for every church to replace the main thing, which is God, and replace it with smaller things like style and dress and format and demographic and so on. And churches have to remain conscious to the truth that the only thing that matters in here, the only permanent fixture in here is God and God alone. And it's easy to forget that. And so sometimes there are times when she is right, when she says, I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith anymore. She's right. She's in an environment that's not watering anything. And there are times when it's right to move on, to find a community of faith, a church that is aimed solely in God's direction. It can happen. It may be why you're here today. I don't know. But most of the time, and that's a lot to say, that most of the time, I don't hear that when I hear her say, Jericho, I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith anymore. When she says that, I don't hear the negative so much as I hear something else. I hear her experiencing, whether she knows it or not, whether you know it or not, the very thing that Jesus called blessed. Derek, I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith anymore. Jesus says, perfect. That's a blessed faith. He says it this way on the screen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And many of you have heard those words before, for sure. But look at them again. And notice what Jesus is saying. And notice the language that he uses to describe a faith that in God's eyes is a healthy, blessed faith. It's a faith that uh, looks like it's empty. It's one that doesn't feel full, like hunger and thirst are physical pains. They're essential to life. You don't eat, you don't drink, you what? You die. You need those things to stay alive. They're responses to your physical needs. And a first century Galilean, hearing these words for the first time, living in a system of corrupt taxation, overtaxation, and extreme poverty, had no need for Jesus to explain the words hunger and thirst to them. They knew that. They got it. It's an everyday reality for them. And Jesus stands up and says, hunger and thirst are the economy of a good faith. And that's a faith that God looks at and says, right on. That's what we're talking about. So people would come to Jesus and say, and maybe you do this, I I feel like I'm dying in my faith. Like God is nowhere around and nothing I'm doing is helping. And Jesus turns and says, now we're talking. That's where I need you to be. That's the best place to be. Because if that's your statement about your journey towards God or your journey back to God or your current relationship with God, if that's how you feel, then you're over halfway there. Again, look at the words. There's a deep hunger and thirst for this word called righteousness. And righteousness 
was a pretty known word then. We sort of misunderstand it in our own culture, but then it basically went in two directions. One was a social righteousness, where you hunger and thirst for the things of our world and culture to be right again, for the world to be as it should be, like as God intended it. We, we all have this. When we're watching the films of all the stories from the rubble in Haiti, we have this like pain, this hunger that it be right again. We don't know what to do. We're just throwing money. It's got to it's gotta be made right again. Everybody feels that regardless of their faith, regardless of their cultural experience. Everybody sees that and says, that's not right. And Jesus champions this. There's a hunger and a thirst that things be made right again, that there's a peace, or as the Bible calls it, a shalom in the world. But Jesus is also talking about a deep, personal, inner righteousness. It's a hunger for the righteousness of God, the ways of God, really, to unfold in your life. When someone says, I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith, they're hungry for more of God to start turning and shaping and moving in their life, to have God change you, to keep molding you. And this hunger for righteousness is not just social, where the world is put back together, but it's also deeply personal. It's about wanting more of God and His ways in your life. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to want more of God. And Jesus loves this kind of struggle. I mean, if you feel like this is your struggle, then it's perfect. He's talking about a hungry faith, a thirsty faith. For Him, a strong faith is a hungry faith. A strong faith is a thirsty faith. A strong faith feels kind of weak. A strong faith is dehydrated. A strong faith is essentially starving. This relationship with God begins with hunger and thirst, and it stays alive with hunger and thirst. You can think of it this way. To keep my faith alive, it needs to be starving. That's what He wants from us. That's the perfect place. In other words, He's looking at us in that condition and saying, now I have something to work with. Because when you had it all together, you didn't need me. But when you're hungry and thirsty, and again, we don't understand those words like they did, because we can get water and food just like that. But these people, when Jesus would see the masses, He would have compassion on them. Multiple times in the Gospels, you find His disciples saying, how are we going to feed these people? I think they're just coming for the food. They're just hungry and thirsty, especially in the desert. No question. And Jesus is describing a healthy faith with those two words. A blessed faith is one that feels like it's dying. And so she says, Derek, I don't feel like I'm growing anymore. For Jesus, she's on the right track. She's hungry. And hunger flows from two realities. One, you're starving. Or two, you're growing. Either way, food is the solution. So if you're in this spot in your faith when or where you feel as though you're dying, you need food. You need to spend time eating from what God is giving. That's what you want more of. If you're in a place where you feel like you're growing, the momentum is good. You almost don't have to tell people like that to get more. They just keep eating and drinking, learning. Uh, again, I went short last hour, so let me just add a couple things for you. 
Let me just add 40 minutes to your time today. Just make it worth it, you know. But just to the two kinds of people, I mean, like if you, and this is just practical experience, um, if you're at a point where you feel as though it's just dying, it's drying up, um, I, I think this is going to sound strange, but I think the best thing for you to do is to not try harder. To like, okay, I just got to clasp my hands harder when I pray, or I got to be on the front row in church, although we appreciate that, makes room in the back, but you know, it does, it's nothing like that. And I think you'll catch this in a moment when I end, but you just really need to know, as I said in the beginning, God, God's not, He has not gone anywhere. And you're going to go through these, these times. And I think you just need to understand as well that this is also a big uh, proof or indicator that community is very important. Because if you're dying on the vine by yourself, then you'll die on the vine. But if you've got other people around you, I mean, this is the beauty of small groups. I mean, when you're just sitting in a circle, if your small group is actually transparent, you would say, I feel like I'm dying. And hopefully somebody else in the group will say, I've been there, and then here we go, right? Now, if you're in a group where everybody feels that way, I don't know, but uh, find another group or a leader. <laughs> uh, just run, just run. Uh, but don't try harder. Just make sure that you know a couple things. And one is that God hasn't gone anywhere. He's not going to go anywhere, right? And then secondly, you need to make sure that there's some people around you that have been there. That's why it's always wise to have people in your life that are older in the faith than you, because they've been there. They may have been there multiple times, so it's just so wise to have people like that in your life. If you're growing and you're hungry, it's a different kind of hunger. It's like, it's like an addiction at that point, you know, uh, and it's a good, I mean, addiction's a bad word, but it's a good addiction uh, to have more and more of the things that, that God has, you know, in His Word and serving and et cetera. But the one warning I would give you is to not start believing that you are growing because of how much you're doing. It helps. It helps to be in God's presence. It helps to spend time um, reading and praying and serving and all those things. But you need to, I, just, I don't know how to say this very clearly, so just pretend you, you've got it, but um, even in your own rituals of your own personal faith, they can replace the main thing, which is God. And we start becoming superstitious in that if I pray three times a day, then things happen. And if I don't, they don't happen. And we have to be very careful that it's, it's a relationship. It's not this thing where i got to do one, two, and three, and God likes me. And if I only do one and two, He kind of likes me. If I just do one, He's like starting to do this to me. You know? And if I forget all three, then He's just gone. You just want to make sure that the momentum is healthy. It's the long haul. It's eternity, by the way. You don't have to get it all in this year. But just be on the path for growth. Does that make sense? Well, that was all free. Yeah, okay, there we go. Back to the notes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think the greatest fear, just in closing this down, I think the greatest fear in any of us when we feel empty uh, is that God has left and to get back with him is going to mean that I've got to get it all together. I've got to rework it. And in the new year, it's always kind of the thing. You know, you, 
If you're a follower of Christ, you're sort of like, okay, it's 2010, I'm going to pray every day at 8.45 a.m. before work starts or whatever. And you do good, and then you miss a day, like 48 days in, you miss a, you miss a day, and then you just feel like you've got to rewind and start over. Like, all of that was for naught. Like, God is up there going, well, you said 8.45, and you did good for almost 50 days, and then I don't know what happened. It's like 9.05, and you remembered. So you gotta, you got to, again, get away from that and get away from the thinking that to get back in with him, so to speak, is going to mean that you got to get it all back together. Like, do you feel like you got to win back the relationship? Now, there isn't enough space on the screen to show you scriptures that speak of God's unfailing love, but this one is, I think, one of the best. It says, Paul says, for I'm convinced, that's a big word, that means he's been through the trials, I'm convinced now, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation, as if to say, the list is too long, so we're just going to sum it up right here. Everything will be able to separate, that's the word, us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, he said, nothing. There's nothing in all creation that will pull God away from loving you is what he's saying. You can't, you can run away from him, but he's not, he's still right there. There's nothing that can separate him and his love for you from you. I hope that's an encouraging verse or a couple of verses. And maybe you've memorized that as a kid at church camp or whatever, but I mean, look at it in a fresh way. Connect hunger and thirst to this. Connect, you shall have no other gods before me to this. I mean, just rework this verse into your everyday life, like God doesn't move. He's immovable. His love is constant. Look back at Exodus 20, verse 2. This is how God began his words to Israel. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, right? So he, he begins this list of uh, new life rhythms, commandments, and so on with this reminder that he, frees, he freed them. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And you can just hear, as I said earlier, you can just hear the groom saying to his bride, look, clearly I'm committed to you. I pulled you out of the life you once had. Now I just want you to be committed to me. That's all, right? I mean, you may stop loving me. You may find other lovers. You may even leave me but nothing will get in the way of my love for you. That's what he's saying. And that's a story, by the way, that I think you want to get in on. To get in with this God who loves no matter what. His commands are difficult. They're strong, but they're backed with this, I'm not leaving. I want you to do these things, but I'm not leaving. And I'll be with you even when you fail. And this verse I freed you from slavery out of Egypt is repeated. It's repeated in the life of Israel. It's repeated in our own life that he just still does that. It's almost like, a de it's almost like his description of who he is. I'm just going to keep freeing you from slavery. So that's, that's it today. What I want to do is pray, and we're going to move into communion and offering as we always do. And a couple things. On the stage we have... Um, on, they're, they're all the same. Stack of things over here, journals over here. Uh, these are things that we made over a year ago. Um, 
there's basically two months worth of just some things you can do on your own just to feed your faith, to kind of address that hunger and thirst, just some, some journaling, some Bible study. And we just wrote these. Some people in our church wrote these. Uh, much of what I said today in a portion of my message came from the introduction to volume one. And uh, so you're welcome to take them. I mean, when you come up to get communion, if you'd like one, just walk away with it. And um, that's it. There's no follow-up. We're not going to call you. How you doing? You know, we're not doing that. Um, it's just for you. And if, if you would like it, you can take them. And we give these to uh, people that when they're baptized here, we just we have a little box that we give them, and it's got this in there and a Bible and some other stuff. And um, So you're, you're welcome to take those. And if they're all gone, we'll make some more. I totally forgot to tell First Service about it, but they seem to run out anyway, so it was fine. You know? So you get them, um, but that, that's what we'll do uh, today. As always, I'll be over here just as communion is happening, and uh, if you need prayer or just want to talk, uh, I'll be there. So, Okay? Let me pray. God, thank you for this day, and um, as always, thank you for this space that we can meet in, kind of a homeless church, but you've given us this place, and um, we hope that everything we do in here is just making you smile, and as we sing, and uh, as I say things, as we give, as we talk to each other, that, that all of that is good. And God, my guess is that there are those that walk in this room uh, every single Sunday, and they just hope that they feel stronger when they leave, and uh, we pray that that has happened today. But more than anything, God, I pray that you would encourage uh, the brokenhearted today, that you would lift up those who have fallen, that you would uh, just reinvigorate a faith and a hope in you. Uh, God, you never leave us. We thank you for that. You love the world so much. You came here. You died for us, the ultimate and final sacrifice uh, for all the sins of all the world for all time. And so we just come around that mystery and that promise and that hope uh, that you continue to free us. And, and when you say, don't put anybody else in front of me, that is coming from a deep love. And so we just, we want to honor that today. Help us to live life with you at the front. Help this church to be a place that only exalts you and nothing else. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.